Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tremble, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Cruz. With me, as always, is Stephen Taylor. How are you two doing? Doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Surviving. Uh, That's what the term is. That's what the term of 2020 is, is surviving. Oh, yeah. yeah. We need to make t-shirts after this year that just say, I survived 2020, you know? And then every person on the world gets one. I lived through 2020 and all I got was this lousy (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh, we're almost done 2020, month or so to go. You know, I, I, part of me thinks like, oh, 2021 will be so much better, but probably it won't be. It'll probably have some shit to it. Like, let's be real, you know? But if it can be like mildly better than 2020, then I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a small win, but yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, something that is mildly better than 2020 of the year is The Grudge, uh, which is our movie this week. Uh, and it's interesting because I think this was a rewatch for all of us, and it sounds like most of us, or at least, like if not all of us, is, are generally slightly more disappointed with the rewatch because I think this movie in the context of 20 or 2004 when it came out it was a pretty big deal but rewatching it i kind of I, I personally found that i had a lot of issues with the plot and how it was structured and stuff like that mm-hmm. well i never saw the more recent remake that they did either oh, that um i forget what the i think it was nicholas nicholas pete uh that's name Nicholas Peace or uh yeah uh who did Eyes of My Mother he mm-hmm. remade it for Sony uh had like John Cho and stuff in it and I never checked it out mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you guys did I uh, didn't I remember hearing about it I don't think I heard very good things and then honestly I just kind of forgot that it yeah. existed until yeah. this and I didn't even re- I didn't even watch it for this but I do want to try and give it a shot cuz even if it's not great I still want to Yeah. I don't know, well, check it out I guess. Oh for sure. I and I I agree as well. Uh I I mean I think I want to see it just because Eyes of My Mother is such a great movie and so is Piercing. Mm-hmm. So you want to believe that his first studio movie would be good but I, from what i hear i think it got taken away and re-edited by producers and stuff so oh. i don't know it was very much a mess in editing you could tell like there was some cool okay. stuff there but like none of it came together and i don't know if i blame the director or anything but it, it definitely seemed like a studio hack job like somebody just cut that movie up into bits and it makes no like sense. new mutants yeah, well, New Moon's also. Uh, I just started. Movie. I just watched it the other day, and <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> that's, that's ninety minutes you can't take back anytime soon. No, I like, and it's like, it's so obtuse to you wanting to like it. Like you start, you're like, oh, I want to like this, I want to like it, and it's like, no, I'm dirty and I'm ugly, 
and I fucking hate you. And you're like, no, let me hug you. And it's like, no, I'm rigid and spiky and you can't touch me. It's, it's the just, hot topic oh. take on X-Men. <laughs> it totally is. And it's not a good take. No. But, um, yeah, the grudge. Uh, the official summary, Karen Davis moves to Tokyo where she encounters a supernatural spirit that possesses its victims. After a series of horrifying and mysterious deaths, Karen makes a vow to stop any further deaths. This also fails to mention that, aside from this, the plot makes no sense because it just jumps around to like 15 different characters and you're like, mm-hmm. what? What happened to those other characters we're following? <laughs> yeah, you kind of lose track of things. It's a little bit like... Like, when I first tried to read The Stand, it was just too many characters, and if you're not paying attention, you lose track of things real quick. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's funny, because it's Takashi Shimizu remaking his own movie. Like, um, like this was uh, Sam Raimi. I think this was the kind of the first Ghost House production, is it not? Uh, I want to say it is, but there was also... What was that movie with... Oh, I, I, there's got to be another movie that I'm thinking of. It's a movie where 13 Ghosts, I want to say. I feel like that 13 Ghosts is Dark Castle. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. I yeah, it's Dark it's Castle. No, this is, uh, I believe this is the first Ghost Host movie. Uh, and it was like a big, it was a big push for, for Sony to make this one because uh, this is capitalizing on the hotness of the ring, right? Like, Jay yeah. Horner finally making its way to American cinemas and doing a bit of a takeover for a little bit. But, oh man, this one just pales so so badly. Because I think I was on the Buffy high when I initially saw this in theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people were. And then you realize she's not really in the movie all <laughs> No. Like, like, actually, yeah. Yeah, she's just the name to put on the top of the poster to... to grab that audience i think really? of uh matt damon in the great wall where it's like okay oh, <laughs> no nah, nah, he's not totally different and, movie they, than you're expecting. and they couldn't sell that movie on being a zhang yamo movie no because a lot of people are like oh i know hero and stuff like that but like i mean for the regular audience they don't know who like one of the greatest directors in asian cinema today is yeah I just, I don't know, when watching this, I totally got flashbacks to the promotion of uh, The Great Wall, where it was like, Matt Damon's in this movie, and not really. He's more <laughs> there just to sell the Western audiences. Anyways. Um, why we chose this? Good question. <laughs> but I think it's like a, I think it's a nostalgia piece, right? Like, you probably get so used mm-hmm. to watching this. Uh, when you're younger, and it's good to revisit, but I think revisiting it is not kind necessarily to, um, you know, what the movie actually is. I think back in, like, the early 2000s, too, horror wasn't as common as it is now, and I think it was still finding its footing in a lot of ways in the new decade there. Uh, and I think that was a good and a bad thing. There were some people trying some new cool ideas, and there were some that tried some ideas, and it just floundered. I think what they were trying to go with this was trying to do the anthology uh, format of Juan, but it 
it doesn't quite come across as an anthology. It just comes across as like a haphazard mess of a plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, which mm-hmm. it's, it shouldn't be that hard to be like, here's an anthology film. So the, the, the way that they messed this up is almost more surprising than anything. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's interesting that like when you talk to, or at least when I talk to people that I went to school with, or like '90s kids who grew up in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. The Grudge, even though we're rewatching it and realizing it might not be that good, lots of people still think of it as like the classic horror. Like yeah. they think of The Ring and they think of The Grudge, and even though these movies are not great horror to a lot of people these are their experience with horror so it's interesting coming back and rewatching it and realizing that it's not quite the the film that i remember it being you know no well I, I, you can't forget that this movie was a hit it was a success it did mm-hmm. it did it, it made its money back and more um and and different than the other remakes like uh, The Ring, Dark Water, Pulse, One Mixed Call, uh, Shudder, these other ones, uh, is it? They chose to keep this movie set in Japan. They didn't try to Americanize this one at all. So, uh, I mean, that's the biggest props that I would give this one is it kept the elements that it would that worked for it and it, it didn't uh it didn't skew from that at all mm-hmm. yeah I, I, it's it's a case of a definitely like you know rose tinted glasses right looking back mm-hmm. on this i remember watching this thinking it was okay i don't ever think i thought this movie was great or even good but i think i remember having like a semi-decent time but re-watching it mm-hmm. I, it just seems like such a mess uh mm-hmm. and I, uh, there are some scares. Like, I will give it that. Like, there are some moments that even rewatching it, I was like, oh, that was a good scare. That was effective. That did the trick. But it, it, I think it's undermined by any sort of attempt to try to, again, do some sort of anthology with this. But it doesn't come across that way, which feels weird. So, that shouldn't be that hard <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to basically mm-hmm. say. Yeah, there's, the, there's a lot of scares in this that have stuck with me over time that when I was rewatching it, I was like, oh yeah, that's from The Grudge. Like, the elevator scene where she's going up and the, the creepy kid is slowly getting closer and closer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the under the bed with coming up through mm-hmm. the covers. I was yeah. terrified of that as a kid. Like, that was actually something that would keep me up at night. <laughs> so yeah. it's it it delivers on those things, but it's like, I think it's just that thing of, movies in the early 2000s for horror they were really just focused on scaring you and then the plot was kind of like it was like a, a an afterthought for for some of it i guess yeah <laughs> that's the difference right there so i was 23 years old when i saw this so <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah um yeah we'll have to uh well we're gonna talk about the ring later and i feel like that's a movie that has held up relatively well all things mm-hmm. considered mm-hmm. Whereas this definitely hasn't aged that well. Uh, it's like finding a DVD copy of Austin Power, Powers Gold Member in a box and being like, "This, this was good back in the day, right?" Or, you know. <laughs> 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 anyways, um, all right. Let's see here. Uh, first time we watched it, I'm guessing most of us saw this probably around the the time it came out, right? Yeah, I saw it opening weekend. Okay. I didn't see it in theaters, but I did rent it on, I think it was like a DVD or VHS. I can't remember what was popular at the time. 
Yeah, I remember uh, I used to go to, like, this, like, church youth group thing. And it was always kind of weird because they would, like, just dump us off at the movie theater. And they'd be like, here's ten bucks. Which, back then, you could see a movie for two dollars. Crazy enough. Uh, and they would just dump us off and then we would go see a bunch of movies. And I remember, like, uh, one of the, like, this was, like, a Christian youth group. So they were like, you know, try to choose, like, some wholesome, fun movies that everyone can watch. And I'm like, can we go watch The Grudge? And I think I tried to, like, <laughs> convince them that it was some sort of, like, Christian movie. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I, I can't even remember fully how I convinced them, but they managed to be like, oh, great, Curb, oh, I'll go watch The Grudge. So we saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Well. I saw The Grudge with a bunch of Christians. And, uh, oh my goodness that one as well as you could probably expect um yeah i think i was trying to be like well at least we understand more about japanese culture question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man yeah the number of times actually that i stopped and had to turn my screen to my husband and be like do you see these windows and the panels and the sliding doors i want those i want those <laughs> in the future house <laughs> It's funny because there's like a certain beat at the heart of this movie that is like about the American experience of being a, being uh, kind of assimilated into the Japanese culture. Yeah. Uh, this like that that could have been mo- much more interesting, much more focused on, but uh, like I, like we've already said so many times, this movie just keeps meandering away from anything that is actually interesting as far as character wise or or humanizing anybody in this situation mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't care. The movie mm-hmm. does not care about this. It's all about driving the fi- the the um, the scares. That's what. That's it's just divisive. That's it. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like that was Sarah Michelle Gellar's entire plot is just mm-hmm. her being a newcomer in Japan or yeah. or not fully yeah being comfortable with getting around the country especially right like you can she I think she does a really good job of just that one character but mm-hmm. it's like she's set up to be the main character and then just goes away at some point. Do what? Do you know that she's she was allergic to the Japanese water? Oh, no. really? And she has that like really pivotal scene that was, of course, used in all the marketing, everything, that shower scene. And she had to like wrap herself almost completely in garbage bags to do the scene. Wow. Oh. Uh, this would have come out after Scooby Doo. I was just wondering, I'm like, this is before mm-hmm. or after Scooby Doo, but this was after. <laughs> Speaking of Scooby, may or may not have rewatched both of those movies like just this last week. So, James Gunn. <laughs> yeah. Good old James Gunn. I love them so much. <laughs> actually, you guys might actually see James in town now because he is, that's where he is right now. He just finished his quarantine. Uh, he's been up there for three weeks now. So uh, James Gunn is in Vancouver. Nice. I wonder what he's filming. Scooby 3. Uh, Peacemaker, maybe? Yeah. He might be doing... The Peacemaker series, so John Cena might be around there too. Would make sense, you know. We'll get both John Cena and James Gunn on the podcast. That'd be to get. Oh, uh, that'd be it. That'd be an ultimate. Guy. I mean, just to get James and to pick his brain would be uh, like a bucket list thing, man. Oh, you know he's watched like a bunch of horror too. Oh, for sure, for sure. He has so much incredible sensibilities. I, I, I even. It even lends to uh, his non 
horror movies that he's done. Uh, and I mean, you got to thank Troma uh, uh, in that style of filmmaking for the filmmaker that James Gunn has become. Uh, even in the produced stuff, I, I I know it has his issues, but I enjoy a lot of things about Brightburn. Yeah, yeah, I actually didn't mind Brightburn. It had its moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, we have a couple emails here. Donald says, "Between Candyman and the Grudge, is there any horror movie not enhanced by Ted Raimi's presence?" Uh, <laughs> no, obviously. Um, I'm. Di- I'm disappointed that you didn't include Midnight Meat Train. As you should. Yeah. Uh, his eyeballs come out of his skull in that movie. I, I always love that he just pops up in movies. And, uh, He's great. Yeah. I think he was also in... Well, he was also in Evil Dead 2, wasn't he? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was. And yeah. Army of Darkness. Nice. I, I don't think that there's a... Uh, uh, Sam Raimi production that Ted doesn't appear in. Yeah. Honestly. Honestly, because he's in Drag Me to Hell. He's in the Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I, I think he's in The Gift. Uh, I think he's also in Simple Plan. Uh, yeah, he's in, he's in pretty much everything. And he's kind of one of those actors that you could probably just toss him anywhere. And he, he you know it's him, but he generally doesn't stand out too much like it's not too distracting when you see him yeah if, if we're going back to the james gunn analogy he's the sean gunn oh yes 100 percent. all right uh vivian says i remember loving this when it came out now i can hardly care i rewatched it for the episode and i was bored to the point of nearly turning off mm-hmm. i wonder why that mm-hmm. is we've already been kind of discussing this a bit but yeah it's just i think <clears throat> The structure of the plot doesn't hold up as well. Uh, or maybe <clears throat> you're just being a bit more critical of the plot and how it comes together. Whereas you're probably, when you're watching it the first time, you're probably so into the thrills and whatnot that you're maybe distracted by the plot. And then when you rewatch mm-hmm. it, you start to analyze that on a level that you didn't before. And you start to realize, oh yeah, this, this is a bit of a jarbled mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and it doesn't help when they have certain scenes play out and then you find out in like kind of background dialogue that that scene happened three years previously you know? <laughs> and if you weren't paying attention then you can't really place exactly when certain things happen and it just jumbles it all up and like time and time and and, and uh and the diminishment of excitement and stuff changes the way you look at films yeah. uh i mean uh, diminishing returns every time you watch it. Like even look at the excitement we had for Zack Schneider's 300, and then the more and more you watch that movie, the less, the more you pick it apart, the more it, it, you start to see that it's being basically held together by scotch tape, and and it's falling apart at the seams. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah, Vivian. I yeah, I think we can see why it's uh, d- doesn't hold up as well, but which mm-hmm. is unfortunate because I wanted to love this movie. I just don't think this movie wanted to love me as much as uh, the other. Movie. <laughs> it's like me and New Mutants. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> New Mutants. I remember seeing that, and 
the studio was so hesitant to send me a screener, but I managed to get one, and I was like, now I see why you were hesitant to give me one. This is not a good movie. So They outright refused with me, so... I had to wait for the the uh, the recent digital release. Yeah, and yeah, they it was it's kind of funny that they were so adamant about it. That's usually a bad sign when you're like, "Hey, can you send me a screener for this?" They're like, no. I'm like, "Oh, this is gonna be really bad." Alrighty then. Yeah, like we're we're talking like two out of ten or less, maybe. Oof. But it gets me more excited whenever they do that because I'm always like, "Oh, mm-hmm. this this has to be real bad." This can't be <laughs> Anyways. Uh best line from this movie. You have a favorite line. I I didn't even write one down because I got to the end of it and realized, oh oops, I don't know if I was paying enough attention to any dialogue. Um so I wrote down for be- for best line, uh every time the the, the small creepy child meowed. That was <laughs> my favorite. I like the death rattle. I, I really like the croaking noise. I, I um, I, I always thought that was pretty effective. And it, I mean, honestly, to to give it the movie its props, I think it still is effective. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, but I mean, the rest of the dialogue is very, um, you. I mean, you can tell. That's where you can tell the the switch over from Japanese to American because there's nothing. There's no emotion driving any of the dialogue in this one. And then, I mean, every other line is just basically exposition of, like, there's something evil here, or I just want her to leave me alone, or just, like, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just your standard haunted house stuff, and, uh, yeah, dialogue's not the strong suit in this one. Yeah, no. for sure. No, I agree on that, uh, the death rattle, like, when it was revealed, the whole neck snap thing, and then she made that gurgle at the end, that was creepy. I thought yeah. that was really well done. Yeah. It was funny because I was watching the movie. My cat was laying next to me, and all these cat noises. My cat just kept like looking at my laptop, like, "What the fuck's going on?" I think the cat was more spooked <laughs> than I was. Um, I think like uh, there's one line to from Toshio, where is uh, they say actually the face of that child is like a real ghost, and I don't know why, but like I don't know if it was trying to be funny or not, but I kept laughing at that. Um. All right. Uh, best performance in this movie. Um. Uh, SMG, just cause she's SMG. I don't know. You know, like like she's she's Buffy. She'll always kind of hold uh, uh that love in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she she was good in her role in this movie too. Mm-hmm. I I bought into her character and the uncomfortableness of everything, and then she just kind of never showed up again. So I I think I agree with Sarah Michelle Gellar just because I I really can't think of anything else that kind of over overshadows her, you know. I I would say her if only just because by default it's kind of her. I don't know who else really rivals her in this movie. Maybe Ted Raimi because he's pretty interesting <laughs> when he is on screen, but. He doesn't nearly have enough um, time on screen to really warrant it. So, uh, yeah, I would say Sir Michelle Geller. Although I will give, give props to uh, Ted Raimi; he does a pretty great job. Mm. And I'm always impressed by uh, child- children who act in films, especially when they have to do something like creepy or weird. I'm always like, oh man, 
like as a kid i would be way too scared to even act in those roles so props to the kid too yeah okay um best kill in this movie uh, I put Peter breaking up with his girlfriend by jumping off a balcony. <laughs> I like uh, it. I know that's not actually what happened, but the, it was the first kill of the movie, and that was my first thought: was "Whoa, Peter, just break up with her. You don't need to go that far." <laughs> I put that. Oh, that one. just became mine. <laughs> <laughs> I put that one too, but I only because I can't really think of too many others. Like, there were some scares, but there weren't too many kills in this. I yeah, said the you blanket. Did. Yeah, it's hard because those. It, you didn't really even see the death for those ones. You just kind of saw their bodies afterwards. Or, unless I missed it, which I guess is possible. Mm hmm. 100%. Um, dumbest decision in this movie trying to make this an anthology film when it's clearly not. Yeah. The scripting is the dumbest decision. <laughs> Getting a little meta here in my answer, but it's like yeah, it's probably the dumbest decision. Yeah, It's just a dumb script. The structure is stupid. Uh, like Taylor said, if you miss if you miss like a, a, a little piece of, uh, of like um, exposition to what the timeline is, you're fucked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, I just wrote mostly, like, people should get out when they see something wrong, you know? Just go. Mm -hmm. And I feel like part of me felt like Sarah Michelle Gellar's character stuck around for way longer than she should have, but I really think it was just because they were filling a part of the movie with backstory, and that's why it felt like she was there for a while. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, she should have got out way sooner. Oh, 100%. There should be a new grudge where Zach Baggins gets fucking murdered by the Grudge House. Oh, man. Fuck that guy. No kidding. <laughs> He's ghost douche. Ghost douche. <laughs> yeah, that's up. Oh, okay. That is the title for a horror movie that I would watch. Ghost, ghost douche. douche. <laughs> by Broken Lizard, no less. <laughs> Uh, I think it's time to put the grudge out of its misery. What are you, uh, you going to give this a score of? Oh, God. It's hard because I really do feel like there are some cool scares. Mm -hmm. But, like, you, you kind of tune in and out from the movie as you watch it because that's really all you're paying attention to is the, the scares. And everything else is kind of just like, oh, okay, I'm not quite sure what's happening. So I want to give this, oh, I want to give this like a six, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to trend below that one. I'm going to give it a five out of ten. Uh, I'll say when I initially saw it, it was probably a 6.5 or a seven. But yeah, it just doesn't have anything for me anymore. Yeah, if I had rated this movie without rewatching it, I might have given it like a seven or an eight. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I love how like, we're going numerically six, five. I'm going to four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I find this movie's really tough to watch. There are some good <clears throat> scares and thrills, but mostly it's a disappointment, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Anyways, 
Steve, where can people find you in the internet? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Steeple Dead. Uh, my website stevestebbing.ca, and I uh, appear on uh, the national radio show The Shift uh, every Thursday at 11 p.m. Pacific. Um, uh, movie fans out there, uh, keep an eye out for Mank on uh, Netflix. If my little passing word of advice here, one of the greatest films I've seen this year, if not the best movie this year. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I will also agree with that. Mank is very good. Hillbilly Elegy, avoid like the plague. <laughs> it's the Korea it's the like the B- the VH one behind the music of the creation of an American douchebag. <laughs> yeah, it's uh let's just say there's a lot of weird choices made in that movie. Oh my god. And... It's like honestly, it's like this this long parable about uh, a, 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 kid, a guy that grew up in Kentucky only for them to get to the end and be like, I have to leave all you fucking idiots behind to be a new person that doesn't want anything to do with this. It's so fucking backwards. Yeah, it's... Uh, I was looking forward to it. Amy Adams and Glenn Close and uh, not even they... Who aren't bad. Who, they no. aren't bad, but it's this... It's the script, and it's this—it's the underlying message. I can't believe that Rod Howard did this movie because it feels so crazily right wing as well. Yeah, it really does. So yeah, uh, do go check out Pandemic, though. I will say it's the pseudo sequel series to Kenny versus Spenny, and it's amazing. <laughs> I didn't expect it to love it as much as I did, but. Uh, Taylor, oh, where can people find you on the internet? Sorry, I, I just had flashbacks to that meat episode of Kenny vs. Spenny where oh. they try and see who can eat the most meat. And yeah, anyways. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I'm all distracted. You can find me on social media, Instagram or Twitter, although I don't use them very often. My username is Circeanic. And otherwise, I have a blog at circeanic.home.blog. And I do another podcast called Kryptonics, uh, where it's just my friend and I talk about kind of whatever we want to talk about, but we try to make it like weird or creepy themed. Okay. And I think I think we're going to go on a, a little bit of a hiatus for the rest of the year because it seems like we're getting pretty busy. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But other than that, yeah, social media, mainly. Nice. I'm over at 3ingrednerds.com where you'll find reviews for a bunch of movies, movie commentaries. I think we've got one coming up for Gremlins and Die Hard. Nice. Yeah. Two holiday classics, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we did recent 3 Nerds. We talked about Black Panther 2 and all the news about that and a lot of the other stuff. So go check that out. All right. Until next time, everyone. Bye for now.